What's up, you guys? This is Paulie Shore, and welcome to a, another episode of my podcast called Interested. Why do I call it Interested? Because I'm actually interested in a lot of the people that I'm talking to, and I definitely hope you guys are interested, too. Um, my guest on today's episode is the daughter of the late, great comedic genius in the whole world, Mr. Lenny Bruce. Ladies and gentlemen, here she is, Kitty Bruce. In our so-called free society, he had one of the most prismatic minds of our time. So I thought, what a better person to co-host this particular episode with me than someone that can educate both you and I on who the hell was Lenny Bruce and the genius of Lenny Bruce than Mr. Mark Marin. Nice to see nice you. Nice to see yeah. you. So, uh, so Mark Marin, as you guys know, um, has a huge podcast right now. It's is it w, WTF? WTF is the name of my podcast, and it's that's called right. What the Fuck. It's sure. It's yeah. called What. That's the how'd you come up with that name, What the Fuck? Well, I think originally uh, we had a concept for the show, and that was before it evolved into an interview show. Uh-huh. Uh, there, we didn't know what it was going to be, but there was some through line. I decided that. What the fuck was really the most important philosophical question of our, <laughs> right, of, our, right. of our era? Right. It was just stripping it down to basics. And, right. I, and I thought that was going to be a theme. But then the show sort of evolved into something else. And, yeah, you know, I like the artwork the kid did with WTF uh-huh. and it was uh-huh. on iTunes already. So we left it. And, and I'm glad we did. You know, I yeah. sort of own WTF now in a way. That's cool. Like and if it, you do a search on WTF, I think I'm one or two in search results. That's great. That's awesome. I thought it would be really cool if you sat in with me on this particular interview because I sit down with Kitty Bruce. Now, for the people listening right now, they don't know who Kitty – who do they think just by saying Kitty Bruce – Right. I I don't think that a lot of people would know. I mean, I know who Kitty Bruce is because uh, she's Lenny's daughter. And Lenny and is. Lenny Bruce was, uh, I mean, I think probably the most important stand-up comic. I, I believe that comedy took uh, made a transition in the late 50s and early 60s into something different than just comedians doing uh, jokes. Mm. You know, somewhere in the 60s, you know, I'm no historian, but it seems to me that that comedians began to have a point of view. Mm. You know, they weren't always rebellious points of view, but you, you got people like Mort Saul and Bob Newhart, uh, Shelley Berman, you know, even Jonathan Winters to a certain degree that there was a shift from just guys who were telling old jokes mm. and being clowns to guys who had something to say. Even if it wasn't necessarily political or anything else, it was their own. Right. And, and, and But Lenny represents something else. Lenny Bruce represents the idea of fighting for your basic uh, constitutional right. right to a freedom of speech. I mean, that that's what he's known for. And I think a lot of people will, will mention Lenny Bruce in that context or, or sort of use him as a buzzword, but he's sort of hard to put in context because, I mean, he was before my time, and I was impressed with what he represented, but to really sit down with the work is a different, a different and, thing. And this was the 50s. No, I think the it was 60s? it was the early sixties. The early sixties. Yeah, I mean yeah. he had been around. I mean you could probably look it up. I mean he was sort of a, a hacky comic mm. initially, right? And then uh, he sort of broke out. He was he was kind of a, an okay mimic, mm. I believe, and sort of a you know just a regular kind of comic, but nothing that that great. Uh, but I don't know what the break was, you know, where it, the transition comes. But you do listen to even his 
even his most radical stuff, he still does a lot of voices. He'll do a little song and dance in a way. You know, he does. He's got a rhythm. I think he got the 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 kind of jazz cadence of the mm. time going. Yeah. But he also drops a lot of Yiddish. Mm. You know, he makes a lot of references right. that nobody now could even understand. I don't understand. But there was a. I was obsessed with the idea of Lenny Bruce, but it took me a long time to sort of wrap my brain around his work. Exactly. So what happened was is is. We found Kitty because she was doing a benefit show here at the store. Yeah, for, which her, you could, for yeah, her foundation, yeah, right? There. Which is Lenny's house. Mm-hmm. And she was staying across the or next door at the Andaz, which is the the old the old Hyatt house. And I stopped by her room, mm-hmm. which was which was cool. And I sat down with her. But she she's in her fifties now, right? Yeah, she's or, she's fifty eight. Uh huh. And I sat down with her in her room, and and, and Kitty Bruce is the only living anything that has to do with Lenny Bruce. Anymore, Sally's dead. His yeah, mother was around for a long time. Right. His mother also in show business. Right. So, yeah, so I sat down with her, and I just went to her hotel room, and it was really cool, and she let me in, and, and we just had oh, a she one- she let you in? That's good. Yeah. <laughs> she, so here, here, here she is, you guys. It's uh, Thanks for sitting in with me. Mm-hmm. And this is uh, Kitty Bruce. This is Lenny Bruce's daughter. And I hope you guys enjoy it. Here we go. This is a this is a very special interview because you don't you never do interviews. Not really. Have no. you done any interviews about your father? Yeah, but it's it's personal. After a while, mm-hmm. if there's a reason for mm. me to be talking about him, right. okay, it has to be at this point in my life serving of Lenny's house. Right. Okay, okay, but I want to I want to talk about Lenny's house, but I also want to talk about how influential your father was in the world of comedy and and how he started pretty much everyone thinks like Richard Pryor Richard Pryor but your dad was before Richard Pryor your dad you know and he was like I said to you last night the cool part about your father if you go guys go on YouTube and do you have videos out there of, of Lenny Bruce we have electricity yeah I'm sure there's a lot no I'm talking about is he on YouTube for the kids that sure. don't know who he is there are Polly I have to I have to to hip you to something you are absolutely right when you say nobody knows who Lenny Bruce is Okay, as far as generational, and that is why I think it's important to enlighten the new generations that are coming up Mm -hmm. because they not only deserve, but they should know uh, who Lenny Bruce was and what he stood for. Now, people say that he was um, known because he was a quote unquote dirty comedian. That no, 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 he was arrested for the content of what he was saying made the status quo and people so uncomfortable. Yeah, he said because at, it was at the time, you know, where it was the 60s, he said the word cocksucker a lot on stage. Right, but he right? said it. No, I, I get the substance was amazing. Like he came right, from but, a real place, right, but, but he ex- still said the word cocksucker. So back then he got arrested for it. Right, but it wasn't just for saying cocksucker. For what other bad words did he say? Uh, he said that the church was making money right. on people. Yeah. He said that he talked about uh, Jacqueline Kennedy, talked about right. uh, Christ and Moses. He, he talked about talked, religion. He, he basically talked about was homosexuality. The first person, he was the first person to talk about shit that no one else talked about. And it made people very, much, very uncomfortable. Yeah. And so uh, the government even though this sounds like some paranoid nut, the kid, okay, made it, the governments of each state made it 
extremely important that he would not be able to work. Mm -hmm. And he was constantly, he believed in the 14th and First Amendment. Mm -hmm. He believed in the Mm -hmm. court system. He believed Mm -hmm. that we had the greatest justice system in the world. Mm. All right. And he believed that he was proud to be an American. He loved it that he served in in the merchant marines and the Navy. Mm. He really dug it. Yeah. But when he came back, Mm. the people he was fighting with, they were serving at that time. People of color were called uh, colored people. yeah, yeah, Yeah. Yeah. You know, and so he couldn't sit and eat something with the people that he was just shedding blood with. Yeah, a guy guys listening to this story, you know, you have to really take it in consideration how important Lenny Bruce was, not just in the comedy world, but but just breaking down the the first barrier. Mm-hmm. I mean, he, to me, he broke down the first barrier of what we're all allowed to do right now. Absolutely. Do you understand? The yes, fact, yes. I mean, to me, I mean, if you look at Jim Morrison, Mm-hmm. You know, back then, because Jim Morrison, if you look at the doors, he got arrested a lot, you know, for saying vulgar things. Or, But again, he was speaking his mind and his truth. Right. You know, similar to Lenny. So we're here with Mark Marin on Interested. Um, we're taking this whole thing and you're writing some stuff down. What's your thought on this whole thing i mean he was well i mean to put it to put lenny bruce into context mm. for myself like again i'm no comedian uh i'm no comic historian mm. but you know i all i can sort of you know come from is my own experience with it is that <clears throat> yeah it seems like lenny once he broke it open and once he decided to like what kitty was talking about in terms of of the church and in terms of jackie onassis that that great jackie onassis bit is is really about you know a reinterpretation of of uh, you know what happened after he was shot. The bit was really about because okay. I never heard what was the bit. Well, the bit was about that you know when you look at the footage, uh, you know Jackie is you know sort of on the back of it. Once the bullets go off, you know she is like on the trunk of the car. I mean, and the idea was uh, that they were trying to sort of frame it that you know she was freaked out, but she wanted to you know try to help. JFK, and I think if I'm not mistaken, Lenny's angle was like she wanted to get the fuck out of the car, right, right. <laughs> you know. Right. So, so right away, you know what what she's talking about is the status quo. Was you know what is the established news story, and how does that serve uh, the powers that be? Mm. Is that you know there's a wife that that was gonna you know stand beside her man no matter mm-hmm. what, and he was saying you know no she wanted to get the fuck out of the car. Right. If, I, if I'm not mistaken, I'm paraphrasing. Yeah. Yeah. So right away, you know that that is a an intuitive and, and, and very provocatively funny idea, but it, it, it might be true, but, right. but it, was not, it was not what the status quo right. was trying to present as the truth. Right. And with the church and framing it with, his, uh, with his bit, I think she's referring to probably Religions, Inc., Mm. which is a pretty great Lenny Bruce bit, and it's wow. pretty accessible, uh, which is where the leaders of all the religions sort of meet and you know, go over. It's, it's basically a business meeting on how, you know, like, well, uh, Judaism is up 15%. Right. You know, it's like this uh, corporate <laughs> right. uh, 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 a CEO meeting. Right, right, right. So, like, to frame religion like that, I don't know that it has been done. And, and, one, and one thing that Lenny you know, always fought for in court was that, you know, that he was doing satire. Mm. And that satire is sometimes brutal. Mm. And and he was using examples, I think, in court, like, you know, uh, Alexander Pope, Jonathan Swift, Mark Twain, mm. that, you know, in order to do, 
you know, satirical comedy that is provocative in, in the quest for truth and, and the quest to, to sort of reveal hypocrisy, you know, that, that there is, a, there is a, uh, an intensity to it. Mm-hmm. There is a, a crassness to it that, that, you know, when you look at Gulliver's Travels or, or uh, the other one, the, uh, the Modest Proposal, which is uh, Jonathan Swift's, you know, basically, you know, he's, pre- he's presenting that. Yeah, I, I can't remember who, who it was, but it was either that they, they kill old people or they, kill, or they use somebody. But, but, you know, satire, the tools of satire are, are extreme mm. in, in order to make a point. But that is a type of comedy that is easily misunderstood because it's offensive. Mm. So, but, but also just the fact that he was the first guy to do it. I mean, well, this was, was, the was it the 50s or the 60s? It was like the 60s, yeah, early 60s. I think, but he, didn't he die? He, he died, died in 66. Yeah, so... So maybe the late 50s. But, but just the a, fact that he was going for it on talking about well, this shit. Well, what he couldn't like, understand, I think, was that, you know, why couldn't we talk in the language that people were talking in? Right, you know, he was right. hanging around a lot of jazz musicians, and you know, he started in burlesque houses, and, uh, you know, that there was a there was a... A sort of it had been done before in poetry and, and other. Mm-hmm. If you look at you know Baudelaire or anybody, so you're that, saying he wasn't really the first person to he's the first stand-up co- comic in the modern it, age right, yeah. to attack you know what America stood for in the way that it was right, in, right, in a language right. like that. Cool. I mean, certainly Mark Twain had taken people to task, and you know you know H. L. Mencken you know had done you know his bit of business. But, yeah. I mean, in the press and in in the world of, of criticism and satire, you know certainly it, it had been done a bit. But not with the language and with the live, you know, where, where he was out in the world in nightclubs. Yeah. But if you listen to it, the weird thing is, you know, the, the language thing, you know, cocksucker, motherfucker, you know, all that stuff was, you know, that was was sort of the vessel through which he got attention. Mm. But if you listen to some of his bits, yeah. I mean, he is dealing with, you know, fairly large moral and political ideas. Mm-hmm. And, and some of them, if you listen to the early stuff like that's not funny, that's sick, there are bits you know, they're like, you know, even when you talk about Bill Hicks, there are simple bits, but there are there are other ones that run very deep and are fairly complicated. Like the one bit that really got me into Lenny Bruce early on was I think it's on That's Not Funny, That's Sick about it was based on a true news story about a guy who, who put his mother on an airplane with a bomb. Right. And then you know, she, you know, and then had her take out an insurance policy at the right. airport. So, so that you know, which is you know, yeah. as a premise, I think was unheard of. Uh-huh. Uh, you know, because because the 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 content of it was you know, why would you why would you celebrate that or why would you focus on that as a joke? Because the the morality of it, the idea of uh, you know, Kennison was very hip to this too. Was that well, you know, the whole bit is him going like, "Hey, mom, before you get on the plane, yeah, you know, why don't you play a little game? We can play uh, uh, take out a policy. I want you to take out a policy, mom. Right, right, you know, like uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. like here's a box. I want you to take this on the plane. So, oh, what is it? Uh, it's ticking. Is it a is it a, a music box or what? Is it a t- it's something? He's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. You get a real blast out of this. You know, right. so he's making, you know, he's doing this. Uh, this riff on this guy talking his mother into taking out an insurance policy as he's going to blow her up on a plane. So why would anyone focus, like especially in, in America, in Eisenhower America, on that disgusting act? Because it, it does say something about the human experience. It says something about a mother and son relationship. It says something about the, 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 the weird, corrupt uh, idea of a guy doing that, but also humanizing that event. Mm. So, and also... Uh, what, what I think what she's saying is, in terms of Pryor and people like Carlin, I think honestly, in my own uh, listening, that you know Lenny Bruce set this standard, and there and and there are, there are a couple of records that I think are very 
good examples of what he became. Like, yeah, that's not funny, that's sick. And, so, and that has, I think, Religions, Inc., and some of those are on the earlier records. But the Berkeley concert and the mm -hmm. Carnegie Hall concerts, like the Berkeley concert, I mean, that's like one long riff. And you, you've almost got to take notes right. because, you know, he is like he just broke open his brain and he was dealing with, you know, the, the morality of, of the law. Right. Like and and he was dealing with like you know why you know why laws exist you know why you know why they're necessary and where they come from right. you know that whole thing it's like you know we you know you we eat in uh, we eat in area A we we shit in area B we work in area C and like and, and there I can't remember the bits like I'm paraphrasing them poorly but he was dealing with big ideas that had never been talked about mm -hmm. you know uh, publicly in that way or, or as a comic so he set the tone for stand-up comedy to take on complex and challenging ideas wow. and blow minds with it. Yeah. And I think that if you listen to the first couple of Richard Pryor records, mm. you know, post him becoming the Richard Pryor that he became known for, like not unlike Lenny, you know, Richard was sort of a sweater comic, he was sort of a Cosby knockoff. But once he, you know, he went to Berkeley, hung out with the Panthers and, and decided he was gonna become, you know, the Richard Pryor that became the Richard Pryor that we know, he listened to a lot of Lenny Bruce, and I believe that if you listen to a couple of those early records of Pryor, yeah. you can hear Lenny's cadence. Yeah, there's and I a think little, he's even admitted that before. There's a little yeah. bit of Yiddish in there. Like, he doesn't oh. speak Yiddish, but it's, the delivery mm. is slightly New York Jew. Right, right, I right. think. Yeah, I might be wrong. Yeah, I don't know. I but also, that. I think that after Pryor, you know, Carlin really ran with the ball in a very anal way. You know, Carlin was not, you know, an improviser. Mm. But Carlin took the guts of Lenny Bruce and the power that he unleashed of stand-up comedy to actually, you know, uh, fight the power mm. and, and, and sort of focused it yeah. and, and, and also integrated it into his own story. But, you know, he, he was able to take on Catholicism from a very personal point of view and then also, you know, kind of take on government, uh, morality, uh, you know, hypocrisy, but very concise. I mean, Lenny... You really had to listen and you had to wade through a lot of references and voices to, to sometimes get the point of what he's doing, which is why it's a little bit challenging for a modern audience to do it because he goes at a very fast pace. He's talking in a very jazz-driven lingo. Mm. Uh, you know, he's running through voices that we don't know anymore. Mm. Like, you know, he's doing riffs on, uh, you know, actors of the time, personalities of the time, mm. and we don't know who they are. Mm -hmm. But, but the, the nuts and bolts of what he was trying to explain was the fundamental injustice of, of how things are, are, are run, you know, legally and what the law means and what politics means and what religion means. And he was tackling those things. And I think that most of the backlash that he received, they, they started with the language, but, you know, that was strictly obscenity. Mm. Um, and and that, I think that underscores really what he was about. Cool. And there's also a documentary out there that suggests that perhaps part of the reason why he had uh, such a difficult time uh, legally was that he pissed off a judge mm. in New York well, let's, by calling yeah. him out. Let's get into some more of that stuff. We're here with Mark Marin. I mean, uh, this is the first time I haven't said shit. <laughs> I mean, he's just like, you know, I mean, good stuff. Thank you so much. I mean, usually I'm like talking, asking questions, but I don't have to say anything. It's uh, Mark Marin. Right. Yeah. What's up, Polly Shore? I'm, I'm happy to be here. Happy yeah. to talk at you. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and we got some more Kitty Bruce on my interested podcast. So here going to get into some more stuff. Check it out. So did he get banned in every state or just part of the states? Uh, he was and this was in the 60s, correct? He was, correct. He was deported from England. Australia. Australia. Right. 
He was in Cuba. Wow. And but um, he died a pauper with no money. Um, that uh, it, he, it was made for him so that he couldn't work. They took away his cabaret license. Mm. And um, do you think that's the stuff that led him to all his drugs, the heroin and all that stuff, or is that just part of it? Do I think it led led? No, I think that my father honestly mm. really dug getting high. Yeah, he loved it. He loved it. Yeah. He loved chemicals. But then at the same time, he'd go on a microbiotic diet. Now the whole house would be, you know, on uh, you have to chew this brown rice fifty times, and you have to with steamed vegetables with this, and then so be he shooting was, dope. So yeah. <laughs> so he died in Hollywood, though. He did. And where is he buried? He is buried at uh, Eden Memorial. Where is that? It's in the valley. Wow. Mm -hmm. So if people, again, they're young not allowed, comics. They're oh, not allowed wow. to. Oh, God, it was awful. I mean, it really? was wonderful at the time. So if people want to go visit him now, he's in the valley at what place? Eden Memorial. They can't go through to visit because the, it upsets. It upsets. You have to remember, you have to be respectful of the other people that have passed on mm. and their families. Okay. And so they, um, I guess that they don't, they don't like. Um, Fans. Yes, fans and carrying on. As, as a matter of fact, some friends of mine went to go, tried to go see my father's grave, mm. and they called me and they wow. said, "You have to talk to them over here." Wow. And um, that's terrible. That's um, that's their gig at the uh, cemetery. Well, can you move him? Why would I want to move him? So then people can visit him. He's in. He's where souls go. Oh. Okay. His body's here. Why Are you allowed somebody... to visit him? Yes. Did you visit him this trip? No. Are you going to? No. When was the last time you visited his grave? His grave? Or his, you know, where he's at. Well, I'm in, I I think, in, in, uh, and he comes to me in my dreams a lot. Oh, wow. That's, that's crazy. It is. Um, but when was the last time you went? It's been a while? Uh, yeah, about um, 1997 when my wow. grandma Sally died. Mm. Um, she's also at the same, uh, oh, wow. place. Wow. And, um, so it was then. So that's when? Mm-hmm. That's heavy shit. Yeah, it is. But, you know, you when you finally understand, you know, that the body is there, but yeah. the person isn't. Yeah. But it, it, you still get a sense of, of, um peace though uh -huh. but you know i live on the east coast and right it, it's it's depressing when you go so we're here with mark what's up hey so, buddy so um so did you know he was buried in the valley it's no weird, I, right? I i I, didn't, I never really thought about where he Is was buried I, I mean why not why wouldn't he be i mean <laughs> right. you know we got to be buried yeah. somewhere yeah there's only a few cemeteries around yeah so your parents are they still still yeah with my us? parents are still alive and they're from jersey they live they're in from jersey? New jersey no my my mother lives in florida my father lives in uh, new mexico wow my grandparents are buried in a miserable jewish cemetery behind the right next to a, a Budweiser bottling plant in uh, elizabeth or newark i think it's in newark new jersey wow yeah and, the, and then, um, when was the last time you saw my mom? 
Uh, geez. Didn't you always have kind of a problem here at the beginning? <laughs> Didn't you? No, I don't know if I had a problem. I think I think what happened here with me was, you know, I came out here. Uh, you know, I got you know, I got the head doorman job pretty quickly. Mm. I got sucked into Sam's world by Carl, and then you know, eventually, when you know your mother moved me into Crest Hill, mm. you know, I was driving the Jeep. And I was doing. Were you, you know, a do, runner for her? Doing the door. I ran for her occasionally. Okay. Uh, I worked the phones. You know, I didn't do. Uh, I did some running for her. I, I got a couple of uh, of uh, Chinese chicken salads at uh, Chin Chin. Uh-huh. Uh But but not a <laughs> but not a lot of running. I, I think I picked up her uh, her Valium once right. down at uh, you know down across from the Beverly Center. Right. Uh, and I think I took a couple out of the bottle. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> but right. No, I don't think that, we, that she had a problem with me. You know, the first time she really, it was a funny way how I got the gig here, mm. though, because I had auditioned for her. Mm. And, you know, right when I got out here, I was like 21 or 22 and uh, and, and nothing happened. And then I got a job mm. working on some, you remember those those weird, that big thing she was trying to produce with all the comedian, the, the shorts, the films? Yeah, she the, was yeah it was like it was like Donna Mix Pizzeria. Yeah, it was like, and, like and everybody and, was yeah, like. And it was the uh, Beverly Hills Meter Maids. Right, and she was, the production of, offices were. Across the street, across yeah, the street. Yeah, or at uh, Tie Us. Yeah, before Barrymore's, before right. the restaurant opened, right? Right. So before the House of Blues was there, long before that, right? But before she even opened that restaurant, I think. Mm-hmm. No, it might have been the restaurant. Might have been there, right. Barrymore's, right? Right. So, so I got a job just from some other recommendation mm. as, to be a PA on that shoot, oh, and I had okay. no idea it was for right. her. And then I show up there, and I eventually, you know, Danny Stone was there, sweating through his suits, right? And you know, and, and Becker was there, and I went up to Mitzi, and I went up to her. I said, do you remember me? Mm. I auditioned for you. And she goes, oh, yeah, yeah. You can be a doorman. Talk to Becker. That's so, like, great. and that was it. So, yeah. you know, I talked to Becker. And then, like, you know, within weeks, I wasn't happy where I was living. She let me move in up there. And yeah. I had nothing. And, uh, you know, it was all history after that. She told me, like, you know, you're, you're a poet. You should wear a scarf. Right. Yeah, so I wore a scarf for three yeah. weeks. Yeah. But, uh but I think that the weird thing that happened was is that we were up in that house and, you know, once I got in with Kennison, you know, he would show up on Monday and they'd, you know, use me to get in there to party. Right. And Tamayo was living up there and he right, was pissed right. off at her. So we, 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 we tore that house up a bit. Yeah. I and, I, and I think that most of the problem was is that, you know, that I was living up there. And then even you, you were mad at me at some point, you know, because you, everyone was blaming me for Sam's behavior i'm like mm. like i have any control over that yeah, monster yeah, 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 you know yeah, like yeah. you know like bill kennison comes up to me he's like you know hey john lennon you're trying to take my brother with you i'm like right. oh yeah yeah right, i'm right. the cause of that guy's yeah. problem but but i think it was just about that and eventually i lost my mind on coke and had to leave yeah but, well, you know. but, but the, here's the weird thing was that years later i couldn't come into this place because it was so fucking haunted in my mm. brain because like i did so many drugs here and even when i got clean it took me years mm. And and I and I just wouldn't come here. One time I came here because I knew Sam was playing. It must have been years after that. And I saw Majid. You remember Majid? Yeah, yeah. And I was like, you know, I, I got, I want to get, you know, because I was pissed at Sam because he, you know, he kind of kicked me out of the crew and everything. And I walked up to Majid. I said, I want to talk to Sam. He's like, yeah, maybe you shouldn't. You know, maybe you should just, you know, kind of, you know, leave it be. That's hysterical. Leave it be. <laughs> right. He was also the guy that told me to leave. Right, right. You know, like right, yeah, when right. I was losing my mind in the parking lot, I yeah. went up to the drug dealer and I was like, I don't know what I should do. He goes, you should get out of here. And right. like, the drug dealer is telling you to yeah, leave. Yeah. But here's the weird thing. In 1995, I go to the Aspen Comedy Festival. And this is before, you know, your mom got sick. And she was there at the Aspen Comedy Festival uh-huh. in like 95. Wow. So that's like, what is that? That's So I was here in 87, 88, 89, 90. So that's eight years. Mm. And I walk up to her, and I hadn't talked to her in eight years. 
And I said, hey, do you remember me? I'm Mark Maron. I used to work the door. Mm. You know, and, she, and I go, can I, can I be a regular? <laughs> She's At like, the Aspen, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. She goes, yeah, you can, yeah, you can be a regular. <laughs> <laughs> At a cocktail party. Yeah, right. And I'm like, great. Yeah. And then, like, you know, so they let me start to work here. And then when I got back here this time, you know, she was starting yeah, to Yeah, but lose you took it. off to New York for a long time. Yeah. You were living in New York no, for a yeah, long time. No, yeah, I was time. gone. But she did so, remember me. Yeah. Yeah, so Tommy no, claims. No, of course. Yeah. No, she remembered, right. Yeah. But, no, but, but it was just always like a weird thing between, you know, you and her because you were, obviously, everyone else was like, this guy's fucking genius and yeah. you're on Conan. And, yeah, yeah. And, and then she was just. Well, she never really pushed me out. When I came back, right when she was starting to get sick. There's her picture right there. Yeah, no, she looks great there. I always yeah. liked that picture. Yeah. But like when I, when I first came back to, to L.A. in 2002, mm. I came by and she wasn't, you know, she was just starting to get sick and they were walking around and I oh, said, wow. hey, Mitzi. Jesus, yeah. And she's like, oh, hey. Yeah. yeah, I remember you. Yeah. But my name wasn't on the wall wow. until uh, Duncan Trussell couldn't understand why it wasn't. Mm. So when he, that weird window, when he was the booker, right. he got my name up on the wall. And that was in like, you know, 2008. Yeah. It took me that long. Well, here here we are with with Mark Maron. We got a little detour, but it was cool. You, right, you guys? Here in, Right? Yeah, well, what, you, what she was saying, I think, that is interesting really quickly is that it's interesting to me that Lenny Bruce mm. had that, that, those two sides to him. Mm. That, that, you know, because I understand that. You know, he was a, he was a, he was a mm. tragic drug addict. Yeah. Yet he was always eating healthy. You right. know, so he sort of, but see, that gives him, like, that shows you who he is, that he, he has a sensitivity to sort of the, the, the weakest and most dark part of the human psyche, but he also, you know, has this sort of, like, aspiration to good, you know, and I think that's sort of compelling, <laughs> right. you know. Right, well, that, but that goes with a lot of drug addicts. I mean, you see a lot of drug, or uh, yeah, they think sober a, people, they, you see them at Whole Foods at oh, yeah, the salad a, bar yeah, all the time. They, they think a smoothie's going to save them. Yeah. <laughs> all right, guys, we're here with Mark Maron. This is Pauly Shore. I hope you guys are interested still. And we got Kitty Bruce. Bruce, the daughter of the late great Lenny Bruce. So your mom, so so your dad, uh, from what I understand, <clears throat> your dad met your mom at a coffee shop. Yes, she was stripping. One, at, she was yeah. stripping uh, at the Club Charles mm-hmm. uh, in Baltimore. Wow. And uh, he was gigging, and all the jazz musicians used to, and comics and strippers would all go for coffee afterwards, and then they would party all night long into the morning hours. That was, he was, he was very, uh, he was a jazz man. And they were there at the coffee shop? Mm -hmm. What was the name of the coffee shop? Don't, I don't know. You don't remember it? And your dad was just like, yo, babe, what's up? And and she was like, hey, babe, what's up? I I don't know. You don't know what the interaction was? I can tell you this is what my But there's mother, one kid, I'll there's tell just you, you. I'll tell you what So my, you're the daughter of Lenny Bruce. <laughs> that's fucking awesome. High five to that shit. Well, no, that's fucking rock and roll, dude. Thank you. That's like being like Mick Jagger's fucking daughter. Seriously. Or that's being like Paul McCartney's daughter or Elvis's daughter. I mean, you're the daughter of fucking Lenny Bruce. Wow. I'm yeah. really lucky. Yeah, it's pretty fucking awesome. But you're the only one. You don't have any siblings. No. That's crazy. I know. So they met at the coffee shop. They met. Well, I'm going to tell you what my mother told me. She told me that she had never seen somebody as handsome as he was. And to be honest with you, my mother was freakishly beautiful. She had white alabaster skin 
and piercing green eyes and wow. red hair that flowed all Fuck. the way down honey to Harlow. her ass. Oh, yeah. Sweet Honey Harlow. Hot Honey Harlow. Hot Honey Harlow. Yes. That's great. And they saw each other. Wow. And uh, I don't think that they came out of the hotel for three days. And is that where you conceived? No, I was conceived in Palm Springs. This is this is. So how long? Way before. So they dated for five, ten years before they were pregnant with you. How many years? I that's so Around. cute when you say dated. I never, you know, something. I never pictured my mother and father dating. Well, they probably did. That's so sweet. When did they get married? Um, I don't know. I was born in 55. Right. So I'm, I'm still thinking about you saying my, my parents dated. So they say they hooked <laughs> up They hooked up in the 50s at the coffee shop. They did. They, they locked themselves in a hotel room yes. for several days. Yes. They humped like little banshees. Yes. And then five, they ten years later. They had amounts of sex. Yeah. And five, ten years later, they, they were in Palm Springs and they humped again. And that's where you, that's where you got, they got pregnant with you. Yes. And then nine months later, you popped out at Cedar sinai Yes. Pretty much. Made my arrival. Wow. Yo, 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 we're here with Mark, and this is Polly. We're on Interested. So what did you think about... Well, I love listening to Kitty, and I I think it's interesting that... I I know she dated a few comics, and I knew that she must have been, at some point, sort of a a prize for comics. I Mm. think that, you know, who wouldn't want to date Lenny Bruce's daughter? She's hot, too. Yeah. I mean, she's beautiful. uh, But she didn't really go into that. But I think what's interesting about Lenny's life, and I don't know if it was... His, if it was on him or he said, because a lot of people aspire to the idea of Lenny Bruce. A lot of people, you know, throw the name Lenny Bruce around without knowing, you know, who he was. But I think a lot of people aspire to this sort of outlaw idea of what comedy is and the the pursuit of truth through darkness, you know, and, you know, and the drugs and everything else. I think he was, you know, our rock and roll. Definitely. Was Lenny. Yeah, definitely. And even if we didn't know who he was, he represented something that was just out of control. Well, he was, like I said earlier, he was right before Pryor, and everyone thinks Richard Pryor was the first. Without Lenny Bruce, there's no Richard Pryor as we know him. Or Carlin, really. Right. Uh, They they got their balls from Lenny. Mm -hmm. And also, uh, it was like one of those things where like like with Richard and, and, and these guys were like, yo, this guy fucking did it already. So Rich, once Richard started doing his thing, it was like there was already a guy that did it. Well, they didn't do what go, Richard did. Richard no. took like the drive shaft of Lenny and applied it to race. Right. So, so really, what Richard's truth was was you know. Did just you ever see de- Richard? De- did you ever see race. Richard here? I saw him after he, when he was, he was trying sick? to come. Yeah, no, I didn't come and see him when he was sick. Uh, but I saw him when I was working the door. He came in. We so were trying saw, to put some stuff together after yeah. he'd burned himself. Oh, no. You know, so it would have been because I was here in yeah. uh, 87, 88. What was that experience like when you saw was, him on was, stage? It was, it was horrifying because, wow. you know, the, I saw him This was in. when he was all burned, right? Well, no, he, he, just was, he had recovered, I think. Right. But he was trying to come back after that. Uh. I think it was around the time where he was trying to explain right. it and whatnot. So it was after that. But... But what was tragic was, you know, he walked in and, and, you know, your mom would let him smoke in here. And he was walking down the hall smoking a cigarette with her in her little feather boa or whatever. And just to see the power of that dude, mm. you know, the, just how he, oh, held, yeah. Oh, yeah. how he held space. Yeah, you know, yeah. as a comic, yeah, it was yeah, like, yeah. he's right there. Yeah. And then I saw him go on in the OR once, and mm. it was like half a room. It was a, a slow night. Mm. And he was just trying to work through some stuff. And he was real. He was always, the amazing thing about Richard... 
prior to me, mm. even unlike Lenny Bruce or any other comic I've seen, is that he went up there very open, very mm. vulnerable. Mm. Like, you know, he was real open. You mm. know, he wasn't hostile. He wasn't mm. guarded. Mm. He wasn't ready to fight. He was, like, vulnerable. Yeah. And it, for some reason that night, the band Alabama was hanging out. Mm. I don't know why. You remember back in that day, yeah. you know, these brockers would come in or the, the country. So they were there just watching the show, show and some chicks, you know, like Richard mentioned it on stage. Someone told him, like, hey, the guys are from the band Alabama. And some girls are like, oh, my God, Alabama. Right, right. And they wouldn't shut up. Right, right, right. And it's like Richard Pryor, the best comic that ever lived, is on stage. Right. And these chicks won't shut up. And it's even happening to him. Right, right, right. He, right and he right. couldn't shut them up. Right, right, And, you know, you know, God forbid a door guy step in at the comedy store. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. That's, that's the one liability of, of having comics operate everything in the place. They're like, I'm not getting my ass kicked. You know, right. so. So what were you saying about. about? Oh, but this? I just think that the model of, you know, dating strippers. Mm. You know, like at the time. Yeah, because know, that's where they met. They met at like, it would be like us being on the road and going to the Waffle House. Right, but, but some, that was the jazz yeah, scene, you yeah. know, and that was, you know, performers of all kinds would meet at certain places and hang out. And uh, and he, you know, obviously was performing in burlesque clubs and he understood that. But like there was a whole tradition now even of, of comedians dating strippers. They, they don't have to, mm. you know, or porn stars. Remember back in the day when yeah. I was working the door on you as well, that, you know, why we gravitate towards women that can only make us miserable <laughs> right. you know, in the most extreme way possible right. is fascinating yeah but i think it started with so, him the so, image. yeah 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 for sure so we're listening to some more kitty bruce and uh hope you guys are having a good time and listening to lenny's lenny's only daughter here, here we go where did they raise you uh, my father ended up raising me. He was doing stand-up at the time. My mother was having problems with uh, with heroin, and she mm. was incarcerated. Was and your she, mom you know, doing? Was your mom and dad doing drugs when they were pregnant with you? I don't think my mom was using when she was pregnant. But you don't I, think, but you don't know for sure. No, I don't. But maybe. Anything's possible. Yeah, anything's Paul. possible. Right. You know? So you were raised in Hollywood. Your your mom was doing a lot of heroin at that time, and that was Honey Honey Harlow, mm -hmm. Sweet Honey Harlow. And then your father was doing stand up in the fifties, and he was getting arrested. Right? Was he Was he doing stand up in Hollywood? Oh, but but check it. Check in the, check. In the fifties, okay. My mother and father once once they got married, okay. He, the, this is now becomes his wife. Yeah. And and he was not cool with other guys looking at his wife oh, yeah, with no she clothes was stripping, on. Yeah. Right. So he so, ended that shit. Boom. It was over. The and didn't she bring him into his act? The clothes went on. Right. Okay. And what did she, Sweet Honey Harlow say about well, that? Well, Hot Honey Harlow, who was very sweet, ended up being Honey Michelle. Wow. And then and the Southern Belle. And then my mother and father did a double act, and they were doing. She was singing. He was doing comedy. Oh, wow. and, so your yeah. your mom was what she was. She was doing an act with your dad on stage. Right. Your dad, Lenny Bruce, right. was performing and doing his stand up, and they were on tour. Right. Did did he get arrested at that time? No. Was that around that time. At no. what time was he but getting arrested? What he, but what he did start doing was he started getting bored. Mm. And so he, as long as he could break up the band, and make the band laugh. He didn't care right. about what he was doing <laughs> right, at the right. Catskills. He yeah. he could care less as long yeah. as he cracked the band up. Beautiful. Did, when it, he was when he was in Hollywood, <laughs> did he ever perform at Ciro's? I don't know. Because you were in Ciro's last night. 
the comedy store used to be Ciro's. Real? You didn't know that? No, I do. I have to put my brain back from when I was little. It yeah. did used to be so. When I walked in the comedy store last night, yeah. let me tell you. Holy shit. The, did you feel some shit or what? I felt a lot of stuff. It's crazy. I, it's heavy, right? It's very heavy because I remember I did a lot of my hanging out there wow. when uh, I was engaged to Freddie Prinze. Wow. You and were engaged so, to Freddie Prinze. Mm-hmm. Wow. And so From Chico and the man. Uh-huh. Wow. And so Freddie would be breaking his act of and, and Chico and the man had just the pilot just got wow. picked up. And uh so I was at the comedy store almost every night all all the time. And then I remember uh coming to see Sam at the comedy store. Yeah, Sam Kennison. And um just there was a bunch of comics at the time, LA comics and Charlie Fleischer was there and it was just a whole different Do you Tim, remember Tim me Thomerson. Back then? Yes. You remember me back yes. then? Yes. Running around. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> That's crazy. <laughs> and you were a lot younger then though yeah. than me. Yeah, well we were I'm we like were, fifteen years older than yeah, you. Yeah, we were all we were all pretty young. So it was it was sweet honey Harlow. Right. Well what's that interesting the, is what yeah. she was talking about is that the beginning of Lenny Bruce the the myth the the guy that he became the transition it seems was like she said they were touring together he got bored and started cracking the band up so it seems to me that what she's describing were the seeds of him freeing his mind mm-hmm. that like you know he was tired of the shtick tired of the 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 mimicry and the mm-hmm. you know just the standard act which you had to have in the Catskills and then you know he started cracking the jazz guys up mm-hmm. and he realized that those were his people. So that was the shift out of you know mainstream expectations to do the same shtick that everyone else was doing just to get a laugh from a room full of old Jews or yeah. whatever. And you know he realized that you know his real people were these jazz dudes who were living what would be called an alternate lifestyle at this point. Mm-hmm. These were the people of the night. These were the people that were smoking weed. These were the people that were you know banging dope. These were the people that that were were taking chances and pushing the envelope. And I think that you know because of jazz and because of the idea of you know, what Coltrane was doing, what anyone else was doing, that he sort of became associated with that type of stream of consciousness. And you can hear it, mm-hmm. uh, you know, in his in the way he his cadence that, you know, the bits were he had bits in the first few records because I think he really broke it open in the early 60s. You know, they were bits and they were definitive and they were sick and they were cutting and they were satirical. But I think that once he let loose and just found a freedom of mind up there, that that's where you get the associations you know, to jazz. Mm. And that's where it gets really dense and really sort of interesting. But the sad thing about all of this is that, you know, as somebody who used drugs and as somebody who lived that life is that romanticizing that life and obviously, you know, heroin. Did you did you do that? No, heroin? no, that wasn't my thing, thank God. Well, we're yeah, just coke, coke and though, right? booze and right. weed. But, uh, but, you know, that, that life was very taxing. And to think that these guys were banging dope all the time and still running around functioning is, is sort of fascinating. Right, right, right. But I think, you know, heroin sort of turns off a lot of the stuff that makes people afraid. So it's very hard to separate the actual, you know, obviously. Have you, ever, no, have you ever tried heroin before? Yeah, I snorted it. Oh, you snorted it. Yeah, I never shot it. Right, right. But it was okay. But maybe I like to go up. I don't like to go down. But I was able to assess the sort of like, you know, heroin really kind of dissolves fear. And mm. dissolves, you know, panic, mm. and you know, creates a space that's just slowed down enough for you to to sort of function. And I think that, mm. you know, sadly, there's an argument to be wow. made that, you know, that you know, when you look at people like you know Kurt Cobain or Mitch Hedberg or Lenny Bruce, that you know, the slowing of it down 
to you know to to get out of mainstream expectation mm. and into just a, a stream of consciousness or 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 an honest and pure way of seeing for yourself. There's something to be said for it. I wouldn't recommend it, but you know, obviously it yeah. doesn't end well. And then what about C- Philip Seymour Hoffman? I mean, that horrible. Was... That's just horrible. Because I mean... look, you know, they, there's no reason to do drugs, but you know, there might be a reason for you initially, but eventually the drug will, you will dictate your life. Mm. So you know, it, it it's not worth the roll of the dice to lose control of your life to drugs. Mm. It's very tragic what happened to yeah. Seymour, yeah. Philip Seymour Hoffman because you know he clearly knew that it was bad and he clearly tried to stop and then he just got in again and, and just it killed yeah, it him. took it took him over yeah, yeah that's it what it does over. you've seen and that then, yeah <laughs> and then what do you think about the fact that she hung out and and was was engaged to freddie prince freddie prince uh well, come on it makes sense crazy, i mean yeah. daddy issues are daddy issues yeah <laughs> why why yeah. wouldn't she want to you know yeah. hang out with someone who was like her who dad? else do you think she was with well, I had heard that she dated Sam, or or, or, or maybe slept with Sam, and I yeah. heard I knew that she was hanging around comedians at some point in time. It seems yeah. like it was then. Maybe cool. it was at the early eighties, late seventies. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. I don't think Sam came around here. But you know, I, I you know I don't know. It's all hearsay. Right. All right, you guys hear um, a little bit more of Kitty Bruce. Let's keep cruising. Thanks. So how did your dad get out of the Navy? Navy? Did he dress like a homosexual purposely? No, you can't dress like a homosexual. Well, what did he do? Because he went to the Navy, they wanted to get out of the Navy, so how did he he get out of the Navy? What he did was he went to the psychiatrist, and he told the psychiatrist that he just, there was just something about, getting dressed in women's clothes and just something that was erotic about men. And he did what he could to uh, get a a psychological discharge. No, we knew he wasn't gay, but he was just acting like he was, and he'd get discharged. And he indeed got discharged. He He used to think up all kind of things. He'd find out he used to love methadrine, and so he would look up diseases to find out what drugs went along with the disease. So he'd go to the doctor and say, wow, I can't stay awake, man. I have narcolepsy, and I just fall asleep. And then the doctors say, well... You have to take amphetamines. They'll keep you awake. Right. And, and then he'd tell the doctor, oh, man, I can't taste the, 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 those tablets. I can't stand the taste. Well, in that case, you have to have syringes. And So, so he would just keep manipulating yes. different people so he can get his drugs. Absolutely. Wow. He had to create, he would use his mind creatively to, to take care of any situation. Wow. For, <laughs> including getting out of the Navy to be with my mom. Right. So, did, had, I mean, you said junkie, what'd you say? That well, yeah, was a junk, mean, that's basically a junkie trying to get out of shit or something? Well, or? no, it's just junkie talk. It's right. junkie, junkie way of living. I mean, there were doctors back in the day. There's doctors now that, you know, with pain clinics and everything else. You know, dope fiends want their dope. And hmm. they, you know, they work it so they can, you know, they build relationships with doctors that'll... That'll that'll give him scripts. I'm sure he had a lot of them. For yeah. Whatever he needed. And that's needed. like the, the Michael Jackson thing as well, right? I mean, he, well, I mean wasn't it's a little he... different. I don't think that you know he was insulated or wealthy enough to have a private doctor like Elvis or mm. or Michael Jackson. But at that time, you know, you could you, you could get scripts. Right. You know, doctors, you, know, you can find doctors who were suckers. They were called croakers, I think, back right. then. Uh, Barrows used to. I think that was the. They were called croakers. But you know what's interesting is that. You know, you characterize these guys all you want, but you know, Lenny Bruce had a great bit about uh, about I don't remember what the bit was, 
about Pharaoh, about Jews, about Pharaoh in Egypt, where Pharaoh's like, you know, bringing the Jew is charming. You know, like that, that there was this idea that comedians had this charm that they could, you know, they could you know, manipulate. Mm. And, and I think that's sort of a, an intrinsic part of, of, of comedy, no matter what. You know, even look at your most aggressive comedians, you know, even like Sam. Sam, on some level, was cartoonish. Mm. You know, you, you know, in, in the sense that you know he had the he had the hat, he had the trench coat. Like to me, he was menacing because I was sitting up all night doing coke with him, and I thought he was the devil. Mm. But you know, when you really look at Sam, he had a tremendous amount of charm. Yeah. If he didn't, he wouldn't well, be that's able why to he sell got, that. Yeah, shit. but that's why he got laid so much because oh, of his no, charm. Oh no, he was a real charming guy. Yeah. But I think Lenny was too, and it's really hard to get a sense of Lenny Bruce because you all, you, all you got is this weird footage. Mm. You know, there's the Lenny Bruce performance film when he was already finished mm. and just rambling on about his legal problems and then there's like the Steve Allen show and a couple other appearances where he's just doing the shtick the thing the thing that I really like about him is is I, I forgot what it, I think it was the Steve Allen show where he's just the airplane it, glue bit I don't remember uh. what the bit was but he was just speaking yeah yeah it was yeah just, and it he had that great rhythm yeah, there's this jazz it wasn't rhythm. like it was almost like he was singing and telling jokes yeah, there, yeah, at the right, same exactly. time yeah. it was this cadence that yeah. was like yeah. and it's to this day if you listen to it or you watch it it's still cool yeah, because he does these weird he does these weird puzzles. He's like, yeah, okay, listen, dig. I got you know, like, yeah. are you hip yeah. to this? Yeah. So he, and he's got a very staccato, very Jewish New York thing. Yeah. And it, there's a lot of Yiddish involved, and yeah. there's a, there's a very rapid pace. But they were all hopped up on Bennies. They were all on on yeah. speed at that time. Yeah. But but I think that you know what, for people coming into it, that you know you listen to the Carnegie Hall concert. It's a mm. double album, and it's pretty accessible. Mm. And and that 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 night. You know, his plane couldn't get off the ground wherever mm. he was coming from. And he was supposed to play Carnegie Hall. Mm. And they held the crowd like four or five hours. And he showed up at like midnight. And nobody that's left. Great. That's great. And, you know, he does this whole bit. It's two hours. And that's a pretty accessible album. Wow. But I really, you know, I think that if you listen to That's Not Funny, That's Sick, you know, it's very accessible. And then, you know, Carnegie Hall is accessible. But then, you know, I get into that, that Berkeley concert because that thing is, that is him right before he died operating on all cylinders, you know, fighting for his life legally. I think that the interesting thing about Lenny is that, you, you know, it was a personal battle. But like she said, like he believed in the law and he believed that, you know, the idea of obscenity was ridiculous. And that if the, if the, if the freedom of speech was going to function, that it had to include all speech. And that the premise of the obscenity was this weird kind of vague idea of prurient interest, mm. which means that if it stimulates prurient interest, which is, you know, morbid or sexual perverse thoughts. So, so he was like, well, what does that mean? You know, these, these things are not just, they don't have context. There's a point to what I'm doing. Mm. And you can't isolate this yeah. stuff well, yeah. just That's, to say it's yeah. filthy yeah. and then call me obscene and throw yeah. the book at me. So did he ever star in any movies? He never made it. He, he wrote movies. He, he, How many movies did he write? He wrote a, a couple movies, but he would be in them, and they were um, not exactly. They weren't Scorsese. They weren't. Mm. Um, so he wrote Philip the scripts Kaufman. that he was in. Yeah. What are the names of those movies? Uh, Do you remember or no? Black leather jacket. So black leather jacket. Uh, what? Uh, Dream follies. Dream follies. Uh, I think Rocket Man. Rocket Man. 
A couple of them. I was looking through a bunch so of papers. So he did like five or ten different like kind of indie yes, films. Yes, but they're all but they were all just crap. Cra- they're crazy. Yes, they're just weird. Yeah. Was, was he on drugs the whole time he did them? I don't know. I wasn't there. Right. I don't know. Right. I really don't, Paul. But he did <laughs> Playboy After Dark a lot with Hefner. Oh yeah. So what was that connection? Because Hugh Hefner loved him. Hugh Hefner. I seen all, yeah because I told you responsible y- for getting his first gig at the Cloisters at the um, original Playboy Club and Mansion was in Chicago. Made my father's book possible by publishing it in a periodical version in the beginning in Playboy magazine wow. for How to Talk Dirty and Influence People. Because wow. Hugh Hefner is, I think, 86, 87 years old. Yes. So your dad would be 86 or 87 right now. How, long, yes. how old would he be? He'd be the age of my father. Yes. That's crazy. It's extremely crazy. That's crazy. Because I told you last night, and you didn't believe me, I played your father in a, in a Hefner movie of the week. I know that. And I played, I played Lenny Bruce. I know. I see. I didn't know that. You know, because there's been so many different movies that were made on Hefner. Right, I mean, right. Hugh Hefner's had like 50,000 different, a movie of the week or this one or that one or HBO this. Right, right. So it's just kind of like a cheesy TV movie of the week right. on Hugh Hefner. Right. But then, but I played Lenny Bruce in the, in the uh, Playboy After Dark segment. Yeah. So I didn't know if you, you didn't know that. Do you think I looked like your father? No. Not at all. Zero. I mean, not, not now. Like when he went, how old was he when he passed? Nineteen sixty-six. But I, um, I, <laughs> I, 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 I don't, I don't see it. You saw my act. I mean, you are funny. You do. I, you're funny. What do you think? I thought you were very funny. I also think you're very kind, and I think that, um, I think that you you need to respect yourself more, and because you have a brilliant mind, Paul, mm. you do. Thank you. I think that you need to really know that and own that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's. I put myself down too much. I think so. Mm-hmm. I think. I, it, I I know a lot of people have said <clears throat> that. I I do that because it makes me laugh. I think like you. I, I think you. It. I think you do it so that it's a. I think you put up protection. Mm. I think that it's a protective thing that you send out there. Yeah. So then that way, it's a distraction. It's a distraction for the person of who I really am. Exactly, because right. you don't like to anybody to get too close. Right. There's a. There's. Yeah, it's like it's it, like Pandora's box. It's an invisible wall, right. but you don't you'll allow somebody Why to Why do you think I don't let people get too close? Because you don't want to get hurt. Really? Yeah. Right. Definitely. Why and also th- not not only that though. I don't think not only that. I think that um you're a very pensive, thoughtful, quiet person <clears throat> in um in a lot of respects, and I think that I think that uh not that people have to audition for you to be your friend, mm. but I think that you have a certain set of standards that that are in your head, and it'll be like, okay, that person can be in my world for now, but not that one. Mm. And it's not in a mean or snotty or shitty way. I think that that's just what you do. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So I guess I'm going to sit back and hear, hear I like what how you quickly, have to say. how quickly she got away from funny. 
Right. Yeah. yeah. You, you're very funny, but you're kind. I had, no, I had a good set that night. I had a good set. No, I thought so, she was very yeah. nice uh, yeah. uh, about you, and I thought that. Do you think she's she's accurate? About some of the stuff because you've known me for how long? Yeah, I, I mean you're a mystery to me, Paul. Yeah, yeah. Okay, I'm going to call you Paul now too, Paul. You're, <laughs> well, that's I mean, what she you, call, that's what she calls me, Paul. Sometimes. Well, you're. What's it, it's a fascinating life you've had, and mm. and you know, given the how you know so many of us have you know you know been you know in reverence and and in paralyzed with fear of your mother, mm. and you know we all have who have a relationship with this. With this place, mm. uh, it, it, it's, it's a very uh, interesting relationship. Like, there, there's very few people that, when you say, do you work at the comedy store? They go like, oh, what a sweet place that is. It's really a, I love, a lovely place. Either you get like, yeah, I work there. I'm never fucking going back there again. There's something <laughs> wrong with that place. Right, or right. like, yeah, man, I get it. I get the darkness of the store. Yeah, I get what's going on there. I feel the ghosts. I feel yeah. the history. There are some people that just lock into it. You yeah. know, and like the fact that you sort of grew up in this environment, I was sort of obsessed with you and uh, your brothers and sisters when I was here because, like, mm. I had placed your mother in such a mystical realm. Like, you know, who is this this woman who oversees all these crazy, insecure, angry, dark motherfuckers? Mm. You know, who just corrals them. Like, how can she have normal children? Mm. Like, I remember like driving something over to Sandy's house once, mm. and I'm like, well, she seems relatively normal aside from the altar. And then, like, uh, I remember meeting uh, Peter once, and I'm like, that guy's like, he seems like he's okay. Right. And then, like, you were like, you know, running around doing your act. So, I'm like, well, he's the guy that's going to do the act. And then Scott was like, all I heard about Scott was like, no, he owns San Diego or something. Right, right, right. But uh, I was sort of obsessed with it. But I think you turned out okay, you know, given. You know mm. the environment you came in and what you've seen. Yeah. I, I think that maybe she's being intuitive. I don't. I don't know you well enough. I imagine you're you're pretty uh, you're pretty uh, insulated in you know how much you'll let in. You get you were brought yeah. up with like <laughs> comics on your life. I mean, yeah. how much are you gonna? How much can you take, really? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> but wait, I want to say before we move on is that you can read that book. It's a good book mm. to read. Uh, how to talk dirty and influence people. Mm. And I think that. You know, what she's talking about with Hefner is Hefner, Hefner was obviously a champion of, of putting it up to the established order's ass. Mm -hmm. And he was a big supporter of rock music and a big supporter of people like Lenny. And I believe, if I'm not mistaken, he might have published, uh, the Playboy Press might have published uh, How to Talk Dirty and Influence People. Uh, and it's a good read because it's a straight-up autobiography of, of, of Lenny's life. But there's also a harder book to find, which is the uh, the essential Lenny Bruce, which, uh, you know, which I have, which is really just a transcription uh, just a transcription of a lot of his bits. Wow. So if you want to see how his brain works and try to read his bits, wow. you know, th it's it's hard to put them together when he's speaking them, but when you right. read them, you're like, holy shit, there's a yeah. lot going on very, here. Very poetic. Yeah, it's fascinating. Very poetic. All right, we're, we're cruising here with Mark, and this is Kitty Bruce on Interested. So, so what about Woody Allen? Did you ever meet him? Because I know your dad and Woody Allen were pretty close. They were? Well, I, I mean, it says here, I, I, I read the stuff about you that there was a lot of celebrities that testified on behalf of your father when your dad was getting arrested. Bob Dylan, Woody Allen, Allen Ginsberg, Norm, Norm, Mail, uh, Norm Mailer, and James Baldwin. Elizabeth, Elizabeth Taylor. And Stuck up for your father. Oh, yeah. Yeah, during this time. That was in the 50s and in the early 60s when he was really getting pounded for yeah. obscenity. But I've got very good news for you and all of your Lenny Bruce podcast listeners. In 2003, the state of New York uh, overturned his last conviction 
and he got a posthumous pardon for obscenity for the uh, Cafe Agogo bust uh, in 1964. And it was the first in the history of New York City uh, to do that. That was the closest they could come for, as an apology for uh, the mm -hmm. DA and Q's office and all those people just really making his life a right. living hell. And, and why is it, do you think, that mm -hmm. people should... Mm -hmm. Um, say, investi investigate, I mean, we're in the year 2013, 14, whatever it is. Why do you think people, here we are, we just had JFK's 50-year ass assassination. Yeah. You know? Um, so why do you think people 50 years later should be interested in your father? His this generation. Because of, of what he, what he stood for, to look at the past, and remember that if you, what is that expression about if you don't remember the past, you're doomed to repeat it? What, what happened with him was I think that people should remember in our, in our so-called free society, he had one of the most prismatic minds of our time. Mm. And uh, to see, to know that it's, that free speech is so important to our life mm. and to remember and to fight for the right to an, to be part of our, our constitution at this time mm. is being played with mm. in yeah. so many different ways. Yeah, it sure is, isn't it? Yeah. So besides the genius of, of your father, it, it's, it's really about the freedom of speech of your father. Absolutely. He was, he was really behind. Yes. More than anything. Yes. Was... The, his what was it first amendment second what was it first amendment right. first amendment of free freedom speech. of speech yes and that's basically so and that, that's and why his, and his yeah. rights were being violated by getting arrested he was told by one by one uh district attorney in nassau uh you better bring a toothbrush mr bruce you know if, mm. if you're gonna you know if you're gonna be in our in our state Okay, you are not going to say the following words. Well, you know, if you tell my father not to do something, yeah. <clears throat> he's going to go ahead and do it. What was one of the worst situations that he happened? Didn't, didn't he get, like, physically dragged out of some places? Yeah. What, where were the, what, what cities were those? And this is for being on stage and kind of speaking his mind. Uh, I believe Chicago. Yeah. Uh, and what happened? The police, the police would be there, and they would stand up, and they would uh, write down what his act. Mm. How many times did he get arrested? About was there like hundreds or I like can't, ten? Or I can't. I don't or? think hundreds, but it's a large amount of time. So they pretty much waited for him to come to town. Yes. Wow. And they prearranged. It, it got to the point in, in a club. You have to have a working toilet right. yeah okay so uh club owner they would start breaking the toilets so that people were afraid to book them mm. you know yeah so yeah. Uh, i've been asked many times you know why he just didn't stop talking why did he continue to push this issue to such a point mm. And I really believe it's, it was his nature. Yeah. I believe it was his vocation mm -hmm. to insist upon. Well, it's kind of like Martin Luther King in a way. That's very kind. Yeah. No, it, it is. It's like he stuck up for, yeah. even though he came out at a time when it was not right to say the things that he was saying, yeah. he didn't give a shit. Right. And he wanted to say what he wanted to say. And Lenny Bruce 
wanted to say what he wanted to say. Yes. And he basically, you know, all these people, John Lennon, they all kind of paved the path yes. for where we're at right now. So we owe a lot, pretty much a lot of our lives and especially in the art, artistic world to these people. Yes. Yeah, to these people. So lastly, I just want to talk about your grandma, Sally Marr. Yes. Yeah, because I remember, I remember meeting her because, and, and again, correct me if I'm wrong, Sam Kennison did a benefit for her at the Felt Forum in New York City because she needed money because she didn't have any money to take care of her. My grandma Something Sally like had my grandma Sally had a lot of financial issues, and um, Sam had was kind enough. I don't know if it was at the Felt Forum, but I do know this: I do know that he promised her that he was going to give her um, money from a concert. Well, the concert didn't sell. Wow. And so he had to go to his brother Bill, I think, who was his mm -hmm. manager at the time, and gave and gave her money. Wow! You know, and she and he loved her, and she loved him. Oh and, God, she, he loved know, her so much. He, he was she, always like, and she I loved remember. him so much, yeah. and they would talk for hours and hours. And she, he helped her, she helped him. It was a symbiotic relationship. Yeah, because yeah, I remember he always said, dude, this is fucking Lenny Bruce's mom, dude. We got to take care of her. That was all he used to say. I know. Yeah. I loved Sam. Yeah, Sam was the best. So thank you for, um, for, for speaking with me. Um, I know you don't do a lot of interviews. So yeah, my motivation is to... Uh, get the younger generation to get familiar with who your father is and what he meant to all the comedians that are out there now and then also to the public the younger generation that might not know who Lenny Bruce is so they can you know what fucking laugh at the dude he's funny he is funny all right thanks guys thank you bye bye so you were saying what? Oh, I, I like the way she said charismatic mind. And, and, I, and I think that, you know, his struggle you know, was both personal and, and, and political and, you know, and for the good of, of the evolution of the law. Because I do think that he really believed it. And I think what's interesting about him, you know, in the idea of, you know, freeing the mind and having this charismatic mind. But the great thing about listening to Lenny Bruce and really sitting down and not expecting to laugh but listening to the records is that he had an amazing way of putting things together. Like what, what really was going on with him, I think, is that he had a deep desire to understand, you know, the truth of the law and of why people did what they did and, you know, what, you know, who was being exploited, you know, what power was being abused. He needed to understand it personally. And he was now in a position to be, he was being victimized by this system that he had respect in, but also had a desire for it to grow and, and to utilize it because he knew that the legal system is a living, breathing thing. And that to, to really understand the Constitution, sometimes you have to push the limits. And, and that's what he was doing. But I, I think that for him to understand, the, for him to glean or get his own personal truth, he had to cut through the hypocrisy of what he was up against. And that's really what you get with Carlin and what you get with, with uh, Pryor is this desire to get to the truth by, uh, by showing the hypocrisy, gutting it, and then you know, getting the laugh at the end of that. It's the revelation of getting through the truth by cutting through you know, the bullshit that is put forth by the powers that be, by the status quo. 
right. by the political and legal system. And, then, and, and what do you think about just because obviously I grew up around comedy my whole life. People always ask me about comedy now. Yeah. What do you think about comedy now? Well, look, you know, I, you know, I've grown, I've evolved to a point where it's like, you know, comedy is comedy. And there's, there's room for, for a lot of different kinds of comedy. Some people just like to laugh. You know, and some, you know, some people are just, you know, they're, they're clowns or they're, or they're mimics or they're one-liner comics or they just talk about, you know, uh, you know mundane things. Mm-hmm. But that doesn't mean they're not entertainers. Mm-hmm. I mean, certainly uh, you know, by growing up at this place, you know the difference. But, you know, some guys are great comics and they don't talk about yeah. anything. Like I, I was watching, I think I was with you. I was sitting in the back and you kind of walked by and we were watching Argus. Yeah. He's still funny to me. He writes I very mean, good. I still, you know, I he, still, you know, here's a guy that's been here for for a long time, and every time I see him, I mean, yeah, he he breaks into some of his older stuff, but a lot of times he'll like do some new stuff, and and I just he just he still thinks he's on Carson, which is awesome. Well, he does he does straight know? up one liners about politics and about current events. He's mm-hmm. like Bill Maher, if uh, you know Bill Maher, you know, yeah. didn't continue to write. Um, <laughs> that's mean. Sorry, Argus. I like your jokes. But, you know, he keeps it fresh, and he challenges himself, but he yeah. he works in a joke format. But there's very few people that really, you know, honor the intent of Lenny Bruce because it's a hard life. Mm. You know, you look at you look at, uh, at, um, at, um, at, uh, at Hicks. Mm. You, you, look at, you look at Kennison, who was, was not as intelligent as Hicks, but, but was pushing the envelope. You look at Stanhope now, who has sort of picked that up. I mean, we all owe a certain amount of, of respect and 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 gratitude to Lenny Bruce for breaking open, you know, language barriers and also the barriers to talk about whatever we want. And I think we all use that. Mm. But but to really be the guy that, you know, sort of says, you know, I'm going to fight the powers that be. It's a rare breed because it's not necessarily that market. Well, don't don't you find him to be similar to Martin Luther King? I mean, as far as fighting for something, you know, because Martin Luther King, obviously, he fought for something. And Lenny Bruce fought, you know, do you know what well, I'm yeah, saying? No, as but, far as- yeah, no, he fought for, for what, what this country represents, which is freedom. Right. And I think that, you know, the way that Martin Luther King did it was dramatically different than what Lenny did. But, you know, in the sense that, you know, that was about nonviolent protest. Mm-hmm. And I think that, you know, the thing that's appealing uh, uh, and different about Lenny, they were both solitary men. Uh, but, you know, but I think that Martin Luther King was a leader. And I think that Lenny Bruce was a lone wolf mm. that was out there fighting by himself in almost a biblical way, mm. uh, you know, against, you know, against mm. evil and against the, the, the powers that manipulate people. Right. But I think that is the, the nature of the stand-up comedian. Mm. You know, you, you're one guy and you're fighting the fight up there and you're hoping that people get it and will, you know, be moved by, you know, by your struggle to sort of change the way they think about things. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, so, I, I mean, when I asked you to do this, to co-host this particular episode with me, I didn't know what I was going to get from you. So yeah. this is pretty cool because, I, like I said early on, usually, you know, I'll talk more and I'll ask more questions, but it's been really, um, for me, it's been really great to really educate me along with the audience that is listening who the fuck Lenny Bruce that's why, that why, why I wanted you to do this particular you just, one. You just got to be patient with it. If you're interested, yeah. you can handle the records. You might not get the references, but just be patient with it and listen. Mm. Don't listen to it the way you listen to comedy now. Mm. Yeah. Listen to it like you want to understand something. Right, right. And thanks for sitting with me. And, yeah. and obviously for people 
that that want to follow you and, and and see your stuff it's oh wtf w- yeah wtfpod.com is where you can get the where to get the podcast and you know, all the information about my comedy and everything else you can also get it on iTunes. Uh, we put two up a week. But I'm glad you're doing it, man. It was great yeah, talking but to you. Real quick, yes, also sir. your TV show. Oh, Marin Let's on talk IFC. About that. Uh, Marin this on is your I- second, second season. Second season premieres in May. Wow. I just did 13. I'm very so this proud is of it. great, man. I'm really happy for you. That's sick. Thanks, you got buddy. a fucking TV show. Wait. Hey, dude, we, none of us thought it was going to happen. No, it's great. No, it happens. It happens for people at different times. <laughs> when I left the comedy store in, what, 87? I, I don't think anybody thought I was going to make it back. No, it's great. We're all proud of you. Thanks, Thanks, Mark. Thank you. Later. Well, that was it, you guys. Kitty Bruce. Um, if you want to uh, hear or listen or see more information about Kitty Bruce uh, and Lenny Bruce, just go to the official Lenny Bruce website, which is just LennyBruceOfficial.com, of course. Mark Marin is at Mark Marin, and his podcast is WTF. Thank you so much for Mark Marin um, and Kitty Bruce for chirping in my lobes and sitting down with me. So I'm going to tee up next week's episode I'm pretty excited about. He's the, uh, the head honcho at the Washington Huffington Post, which is in D.C. Um, ladies and gentlemen, Mr. Ryan Grimm. The Republicans still have a demographic problem, though. The the electorate that put Obama in the White House, they outnumber the Republican coalition, and that is, that's a mathematical problem that, that Christie is going to have to deal with. Well, that's it, you guys, for now. I definitely want to tip my hat to the musical performances uh, that was under the whole Mark Maron portion of the podcast, and that's Rob Cuncliffe. Tim Ray and Austin Steele. My Twitter is at Polly Shore. Check out my website, which is just PollyShore.com for tour dates. And we'll see you guys next week. Bombayage. Are you still what? Interested. Don't go down. Don't go down that road alone, yeah.